for sharing the message, bro. Appreciate you, man. I love you, man. It was so terrible last week. I don't know why we decided to do it again. It was great. It was great last week. Looking forward to it. Awesome, guys. Well, uh, like Jeff was saying in his prayer, I think part of the reason last week was so great was honestly the energy in the room, the participation. It just felt different to me. I don't know if it felt that way to you, but um, it just felt like the Holy Spirit was really working in this room. And uh, I know even my wife on the way here was was talking about how much she was impacted by pedal sharing, you know, and, and her responses. And that really is the goal of these midweeks is to bring us back together, you know, to meet as a community group. And to just encourage one another, we want to do uh, on our end, you know, we want to prepare and guide the lesson in a way where we can get a lot out of it. But we also just ask that everybody would, you know, prepare your mind as much as possible to make midweeks not just a, a routine or something on the calendar, but really an opportunity for God to work together in all of us. Um, I feel like part of uh, the reason it was so awesome, got to shout out my wife, is also because she suggested meeting in this room instead of that room and uh, i don't know if you guys feel the difference but this just feels more intimate we got couches right here you know the two songs you know this is their their spot they're camping out i love it yes it's amazing uh, so just you know the vibes are different in here it feels it feels more like family um, and I also just uh, really want to shout out my wife. It is uh, 16 years to the day that she made Jesus Lord. This is pretty awesome. So that is really cool. And, uh, you know, anytime we can take any excuse we have to just reflect on God and all he's done in our life, you know, it's just a great time to reflect on that. So uh, she is a fine wine in many ways, spiritually included. They just keep getting better and better over time. I'm going to move on from that, though. Um, <laughs> Just a little heads up too. We're gonna be pretty, pretty flexible. Uh, it's not even Valentine's Day. It's not even Valentine's Day. I'm year round with that stuff, Mark. So uh, no, uh, and then we're gonna be pretty flexible with the formats. You know, I know last time and this time we kind of just opened it up at different times for discussions. And the cool thing about that is you get to hear from people that you don't know that aren't your family group. Uh, other times we might break out into family groups for a little more focused discussion. So we're just gonna be flexible, you know, as we continue to go yeah. through this this series and this book. Um, but before we dive into uh, picking up in, in the end of Genesis 3 and start Genesis 4, I don't know about y'all, but if I hear a lesson, uh, a lot of times maybe I retain the big idea, but a lot of the details uh, get lost. And so I'm somebody that does not naturally have a good memory, uh, so I need a little bit of a, a recap. And so some of the things that we talked about last time was the importance of narrative and reading Genesis on its own terms. When we don't read Genesis on its own terms, there's really two big things that tend to happen. Um, one is we miss a lot of the most important questions that Genesis is seeking to ask and then and answer. And then number two, the second thing that we do is, is we often tend to project questions on Genesis that it has no business answering. That the authors and the original audience that would have just been so foreign to them. Like, why are you looking to this book for answers about that? That doesn't make sense. But being people of the narrative means that we're being shaped by the story itself, that we are called to embody and participate in this beautiful story that God has given us. Seeing our lives through a narrative does not take us outside of our ordinary circumstances in life, but it causes us to see those normal circumstances totally different. That's what being part of this story that God calls us into is really all about. We talked last time about our perception of God, how the serpent was so effective, uh, not just because he changed God's command, but because he changed Adam and Eve's perception of who God was. Right. God said, man, you can eat of any tree in here freely. I give this all to you. I'm a generous God. Partner with me. 
And yet Satan was a, so the serpent Satan was able to twist that and say, no, 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 God's stingy. He's holding back. He's not letting you be the full person you can be. We also talked about free will, how from the very beginning, uh, that in spite of the risk involved, God chooses to have less than absolute control. For the sake of a genuine relationship, he says, you know what? I need to have free will in this for it to be a real relationship between us. And so he allows his will to be broken so that real love can be cultivated. We talked about humanity in its infancy. And uh, this is a little bit of a one perspective. Would encourage you to look at many, many more. But uh, one thought around the Genesis narrative is that this is describing, you know, humanity in its infancy. That it's not fully developed. That Eden was good. That humanity was very good. But it wasn't humanity in a perfected state. Mm-hmm. That God was planning on, you know, at some point allowing them to eat from the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But not until they were really developed and mature and grown and learned to trust God. But instead, what did we do? We took the fruit from that tree. We went against God's will. And it broke things down big time. And uh, over and over again, last time we saw that there is hope woven into the consequences, right? Uh, when the ground is, is cursed, it still produces fruit to live off of. When childbirthing is cursed, guess what? Eve still is able to pass on life. And even after their fall, the first act that God does in his redemption is he makes garments for them. He says, man, you fought, you slipped, you fell. And I'm going to be here to make this better. There's so much in Genesis. We could just debrief on that and get the discussion going. I would encourage you to continue getting into it. Uh, But let's wrap up chapter 3. Can we have somebody read Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24? I can read it. All right. Oh, man, we got the best voice in here reading this. Come on, Zechariah. Let's go. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Uh, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. All right, thank you, bro. Really sad ending to this chapter. You know, it's such a 180 from how the chapter started, from how Genesis 2 ended to where we end up at the end of chapter 3. Um, but regardless of, of you know, what, whether we think this is humanity in its infancy, it's clear that we, they went against God's command, and that now this relationship is fractured. It says that they became like one of us. And again, is that us, the Trinity, is that us, the divine council? Tons of debate over that. Um, but because uh, humanity had prematurely seized the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we see here right now God's concern is that, oh, no, they might do the same thing with the tree of life. And why is that significant? Because think about humanity in its sinful, fallen state perpetually being stuck in that way forever. Wow. Think about that. right? Our hope is not that, Oh, yeah, we just hope that life continues forever the way it is, right? Like, that might almost be miserable. Our hope, that's no hope at all. If we just say, hey, we just hope that humanity with all its brokenness continued as it is forever. That's eternal life. That's not what we believe. And God says, no, no, no. They have now fallen. They're in a different condition. They cannot eat from the tree of life or they will be stuck like this forever. God did not execute the death penalty by taking Adam's life, but by banning him from the rejuvenating power of the tree of life. Mm -hmm. This was an act of love 
And this is where the redemption story begins. For God to bring, throughout the rest of the book, what we read throughout the rest of the Bible, is that this is God's redemption plan. And how can we resolve this issue? How can we redeem and reconcile people so that I can dwell with them forever in the state that I originally intended? It talks right here about the ground from which he was taken. Uh, this is also referen referenced in verse 19 where he says, uh, You will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. From dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And this is a really famous verse, you know, like we, even people that don't know the Bible, there's probably a lot of people that have no idea this is in the Bible, but just, you know, quote it and say it. And it's a reminder of just our, our temporality, right, of just how temporary our lives are. We want to be God, well, in situations like this, we need to be reminded that we're dust. But we always need to hold both these things that we see about humanity throughout the first three chapters in tension. On one hand, it's true that, yes, we are but dust. But on the other hand, it's still true that we remain the image bearers of God. That's right. Being from the dust uh, is one end of the spectrum that we always need to keep in mind. That we're created from the dirt of the ground. We're creatures. We're not God. We're fallible. And we are totally dependent on God for life and everything else. And yet, on the other side of the spectrum, we are still image bearers. In Genesis 5 and Genesis 9, after the fall, after Cain kills Abel, after the flood, it still says, you are the image bearers. And this is so important because, uh, honestly, sometimes I think that we can focus so much on our fallenness that we can forget that we are all image bearers. Mm -hmm. And when we forget that all of humanity is image bearers and that we reflect God's will to varying degrees, but when we lose the sight that everybody is made in the image of God, that's when horrible, horrible things can happen, even in the name of Christianity. Mm -hmm. So many people out there, unfortunately, even sometimes in the church, can get so focused on their brokenness that they really don't see themselves through the lens in the positive way of how God does. Wow. That's right. yeah. Even this week, I felt so convicted because uh, this was yesterday. There was this, uh, this, this woman that I work with, and, um, and she just is one of those people, unfortunately, where it just you know, comes on a virtual meeting, and you just feel the stress, you know, um, where it's like the opposite of a non-anxious presence, you know. And she was going through some stuff, and she needed some help. So I was like, okay, you know, whatever, I'll help. And then I felt like she was really taking it out on me. And as we were going through this, all the thoughts that were running through my mind is like, why am I trying to help you? Why am I doing this? What am I? And then only because I was studying this and preparing for this <laughs> lesson, like a complete hypocrite, halfway through, it hit me, man. She is made in the image of God. She's struggling. And it completely changed how I viewed her. All of a sudden, she just wasn't a problem that was in the way of me getting to work. All of a sudden, I was like, wow, she's a, a human. She's a, a daughter of God. It restored her dignity to her like that when I remembered, oh, yeah, she's an image bearer. Like all of us, we're all fallen. So we really need to keep these two things in tension. And uh, they're both very true. And uh, sometimes we need more of that reminder that, that, you know, we are made in the image of God. Other times we do need that reminder, no, 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 we're dust, all right? <laughs> it says that uh, Cain is sent to the east. Uh, directions are super important in the Bible, and this is a motif that will appear a couple times, even at the end of this story with Cain. Um, you know, it, it tends to symbolize exile when things are going to the east. And yet what's interesting is Jesus comes, you know, the Magi come from the east to, to welcome him. Uh, Jesus comes from the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem from the east. So you kind of have this ebb and flow with exile and return uh, throughout the Bible. So 
Uh, just something to keep in mind. But then it says that, uh, oh, is it uh, cherubim? 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 Okay, cherubim and flashing. Uh, I feel like that's one of those words that you read, and then when you say it out loud, you're like, no, wait a second. <laughs> I say that right? I actually remember at my wedding, uh, we didn't grow up in a very religious family, and uh, but my dad was like intent on, you know, he wanted to share some scripture when he was talking about us. And like four times, I kid you not, in front of the whole wedding, he kept saying, Ephesians. And, and we were like, am I saying it wrong? Is he wrong? Like, I don't know. But uh, so it's cherubim. Cherubim? Okay. Yeah, running with it. Um, so, so anyways, these cherubim and uh, the flashing sword. So these cherubim, it's, it's unfortunate, but these cherubim, they also guarded the ark and the holy of holies. And the flashing sword represents God's judgment. So think about how much has changed. God said, hey, Adam, Eve, this is your garden. Eat from everything. You are here. This is your home. This is your place. The end of the chapter, God has to block them from even coming in. It's been a complete 180 that we've seen in the life of Adam and Eve. With that being said, let's pick up in uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Can we have somebody read verses 1 through 7? Thank you, Pedal. Even though you don't got the bass, you have a beautiful voice. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, but how good is God right here? You know, all this happens. You think that if this was a human being, right, there'd be bitterness. There'd be like, I just created you. You messed up my plans. Da, da, da. What do we see from God right here? Eve gives birth to two kids. God continues to provide in that way. And not only that, but what's so interesting is Cain and Abel seem to be just as present with God as Adam and Eve were in the garden. Even though they're outside the garden, they're still coming up to God. They're still bringing him offerings. God is still right there with them, even outside the garden. Uh, you'll see this uh, throughout this story. You see that Abel is referred to as his brother Abel throughout. The term brother shows up here all over the place. Um, and it's really important because, uh, yeah, we see what happens between these two in just a moment. Uh, this Cain and Abel story was really important, you know, in a lot of the Jewish writings to the foundation of the whole sacrificial system later on. Like they look back to Cain and Abel to not get the specifics of it, but just to see as a general principle, hey, it's really important for us to worship the Lord with sacrifices. They kind of look to this as a foundational story because this is the first time we see that happening. So the question kind of becomes sometimes, right, like, well, what's the difference between their sacrifices? Why is one acceptable to God and the other not? And again, this is an area where there's tons of different thoughts and opinions. Would encourage you guys to study it out. But I think the thing that sticks out to me uh, that's noticeably different between the two that a lot of people point out is the fact that uh, Abel gives his firstborn from his flock, and Cain is not mentioned the first fruits from the harvest. 
And this idea of first fruits from the harvest, firstborn from the flock, are really important ideas. Uh, you'll see this happen all over the time where God calls, uh, you know, the Israelites uh, metaphorically, he calls them the first fruits and the firstborn. This theme also has a rich connection to the New Testament where Jesus is called the, the firstborn and where the church and Jesus are called the first fruits. Uh, there's something really significant about this word. It's a very loaded word, and so it's not by accident that one that Cain's uh, sacrifice doesn't have that, and the Abel's does. That first fruits is the best you can give somebody. There's also this really important connection between the gift and the giver. For both of these, it says God looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not. The offering is inseparable from the character of the individual. And it's not even that, that Cain broke a rule or anything like that. Uh, there wasn't any requirements or stipulations as far as we know of, right? There's no sacrificial system in place right here. But I think based on Cain's reaction, we see that God knows there's something about the offering that he's bringing that is not in line with his attitude and his heart and his character. It's not just that Cain was ignorant. It's not just that he messed up. It's that there's something fundamentally wrong with what he's bringing and the, and the way that he's bringing it to God. One question that this seems to be screaming out to us is, do we freely worship God with our best? For Abel, it just seems like that's so natural, right? Like the, this is the only thing that we know about Abel in all of scriptures. And you read Hebrews 11, Abel of all people is one of the people that's lifted up, you know, uh, in terms of just uh, having an amazing heart. It says... Uh, I don't even know where it says. Shoot, I thought I had it written down. But read Hebrews 11. I think it's verse 4. It talks about Abel and just how his, his righteous blood is there and all that sort of stuff. It's, uh, it's really, really incredible to see. Um, just that these two, you know, there seems to be something fundamentally different between, um, between their offerings. Uh, but back to that question of do we freely worship God with our best? Oftentimes we can unfortunately boil down worship to, to music. Right? When we say worship, oftentimes we just think singing on Sundays or Wednesdays. But worship is so much more than that. Essentially, worship is what we bow down to. It's our actions and our attitude together. And we see that here in this story. Anytime we want to know the bare minimum of what is acceptable to God, we've lost the heart of worship completely. I really hope that question never crosses our minds, but I know for me sometimes it does. As it says throughout scripture, God knows our hearts. So if our hearts are not in the right spot when it comes to our worship, the best thing we can do is acknowledge it, repent, be open, and open up space for God. In verse 6, we see God again approaching his sons and daughters after this horrible wrongdoing, right? Cain kills Abel, and what does he do? He approaches with questions, just like we saw with Adam and Eve. Think about those times in your life where somebody has, you know, you were expecting a statement or an argument, and somebody approached with a question that just penetrated you, right? That got you to just think and be reflective and, and humbled you. We see this over and over again with Jesus, time and time again, and we see this with Cain and Abel here. And uh, lastly, before we pause and stop for, uh, for some discussion, um, you know, this is the first time that the word sin is used in the Bible. And sin is a loaded, loaded word. Uh, it can mean a whole bunch of different things. It can be acts that miss the mark. It can be a perverse quality of character. It can be described as a universal condition or even as a demonic power. 
right? So even here as we see him say, you know, sin is crouching at your door. It's desiring to master you. It's hard to even boil down, well, what is he talking about? Is it a force? Is it a being? What is it? But I think that sin is, is such a difficult uh, concept for us to grasp in some ways because it's such a full term that we'll see throughout the Bible. And before we uh, discuss this, really important to, to understand the difference between original sin and ancestral sin. Uh, ancestral sin is not a term we use a lot, but the idea behind these two things, and sometimes people use original sin but mean different things by it, um, but original sin is the idea that we inherit guilt from Adam and Eve's sin, right? That from the moment we're born, we're guilty. We don't just experience the consequences of it. We inherit the guilt. Uh, this was really made famous by August, uh, Augustine and carried through in the West. But ancestral sin in the East and elsewhere, uh, John Chrysostom was a huge proponent of this, really fought against Augustine. He said that there's no way God would ever condemn somebody for the sins of another. People aren't born guilty, but they're born into a world where the consequences of sin are all over the place. And there's a huge difference between these two things, right? If we think of God and we think, oh, yeah, in his wisdom, I'm guilty from the moment I'm born. That little baby, that little child, Adoye is holding right there. Guilty. Guilty. You know, like he's just a baby. He doesn't know what's going on. I think in our church without really knowing it, we definitely, <laughs> in our church without really even, you know, knowing it, we lean more towards that ancestral sin side, right, where we believe that, hey, there's a, a point of uh, where you understand more about what's going on and the consequences, the reality of what's going on. But, you know, that was one of the big divides over kind of why they started uh, baptizing infants, right? If you're born uh, into sin, if you're guilty from the beginning, then obviously you need to get baptized right away so that you don't burn in hell if you die at four days old and you're not baptized, right? And we don't believe in that because we think that for a lot of reasons that, um, you know, you've got to be able to make a conscious decision to follow Jesus as Lord. And that there's something about sin that uh, all we see it all around us, but that it's not inevitable they don't inherit that guilt naturally by default so anyways we've been talking to, i've been talking a ton questions thoughts stuff i missed what are you guys thinking i know that was a ton yeah yeah i think uh, it's kind of funny we, we read about adam and eve we get involved in the marriage issues and all that it's obviously god and mankind and his first contact but what's amazing is that god provided paradise in the garden in paradise in heaven, and in the middle, we're struggling, okay, between the two paradises. Mm -hmm. And even here, we see God's mercy. Mm -hmm. But he's warning Cain. He's saying, man, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Why are you so angry? Mm -hmm. He says, look out, man. This stuff's coming. Mm -hmm. Something bad's going to happen. And God's so merciful, both to Adam and Eve and to Cain. It kind of reminds me of Romans where it says, what if God did this to bring, to show the riches of his glory to the objects of his mercy? Mm. God wants to show us his glory, but he also wants to see his mercy. Yeah. And here he is pleading with Cain, and mm. Cain doesn't listen. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of times God pleads with us out of his mercy, and we just don't listen. Yeah. He's trying to help us. It's know? such a good point, Mark. And I feel like sometimes when I just think about the story from the whole, I don't get those details of God, or I don't see that picture of God as much. But when you dive into the details, it's impossible to not see like, wow, God is so gracious again and again. And he doesn't force himself on it. He just says, hey, Cain, I'm warning you right now. You're about to make a big mistake, but you don't have to. You don't have to, and I don't want you to. So, yeah, I feel like you just see the grace of God over and over and over again. It's a good point. Yeah. 
Um, I appreciate the point you made of like, do we worship God with our best? And that that's not just on a Sunday, you know, and getting your heart prepared on a Sunday. And that's great, we should. But it's kind of the why we do what we do every day. Why we show up here if, we, if we're tired. Why I, you know, you're kind to someone that, I mean, just like, that gives me a motivation of like, well, every life, every day, I'm giving my worship to God. Somehow. Yeah. And so that's why I do what I do. That's why I live how I live. Mm. I'm not trying to meet, you know, a list of rules or a checklist of performance based, you know, traits. Mm. Um, I'm trying to give God my best. Mm. And that's my form of worship, how I walk daily. Yeah. I really liked that. Yeah, that's a great point, Chrissy. And like, I think with that sort of mentality, number one, it doesn't disconnect actions from heart and attitude and motive, but then it just bleeds into every area of our life, right? It just becomes less and less segregated. Like Sunday morning, Wednesdays, when I'm in the Word, those are my times with God. But it's like, no, when I'm at work, when I'm making purchases at the grocery store, like whenever, like everything I do can be an act of worship for God if I have the right heart and that bow down attitude. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah. Pierre was really mad. He said I didn't call him last time. So I wanted to make sure I called on him this time. I got you. <laughs> Here's what I have to say, people. Why are you so angry? No, I appreciate the point. Like, I never, like, connected it, like, linked it in my brain before that God was l with them, talking to them after he kicked them out of the garden, just like, like, like you pointed out. And I think in this moment right now, it's just making me so, well, one, you know, as I sort of, like, look forward in the scriptures, there, there was a, there's a point which that's not happening anymore, and when people even see yeah. angels, they're like freaking out. Mm -hmm. But these are, these, you know, Cain and Abel, they're talking to God, and they're like, hey, what's up? Yeah. You know? Um, but it's, so, so there's that, and then, but it's also making me appreciate God's spirit, mm -hmm. because it's, it's showing me an intention that God had from the beginning to just have that relationship mm. with with us, True. you know, and, and the yeah. fact that he, because of Jesus, he's given us uh, his spirit to like be with us, just yeah. like he is yeah. physically right. with with Cain and Abel. It's, yeah. it's pretty inspiring, pretty cool. Man, I love that, Pierre, and I think, you know, especially when we look at this compared to like other ancient Near Eastern, like their neighbors, what their views of God were, this was like mind-blowingly okay. different. Like the closeness that they have with God, like blasphemy, you know, to a lot of their other like neighbors and their religion. So that's a great Great point, man. Yeah, Zechariah. Yeah, it's so like amazing. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, I remember when I was in campus, there was this guy's name was Travis. He he was an atheist, or at least an acclaimed atheist, and uh, he actually liked coming to our Bible talks. Though he was super, extremely intelligent guy. Um, because of our hospita hospit he liked coming around and um, it was, he would ask all these like crazy, like, not crazy, but like very challenging questions. And it's just so amazing to see over and over again, like how good God is and how we take, how fascinating it is we take our feelings, our emotions, our understanding, and in a way kind of eisegeted on the scriptures and wow, mm. God is horrible, you know, mm. like, oh, he kicked them out of the garden. Oh, he didn't want them to know anything, this or that. 
But everything that God does is good because that's who he is. And it's like he kicked them out because they we just be in a depraved state for forever. You know, people already have enough heartache in pain, you know. Um, he clothed them even when they did wrong, you know. Um, just all these different things. And it's just like so amazing how like gracious he is. And I'm like, wow, Lord, please help me to be more like that, you know. And even the moment you share with, with work, you know, with the, your coworker and so it's just it's just very amazing to see God over and I've read the story I don't know a lot of times you know mm-hmm. but just to see different depths each time and see more and more how good he is mm-hmm. it's just it's just encouraging so thanks for highlighting this yeah man well I think you bring a great point about just the eyes of Jesus and how much we can like come with these preconceived notions of what God is and then read the word and like just latch on to the parts that we think or interpret certain things we're like yep that matches what I already think and it's so hard for all of us no one's immune to it right to just let God's words speak for itself you know and like try and approach it with as much of a blank slate as possible to say God teach me what this says about you you know help me to see you as you are um so I love that yo Michelle first yeah um the other thing I that that hits me is both Adam, well, Eve's response mm-hmm. of like, okay, it, I feel like God kicked me out of the garden. I'm, a, I'm, I'm still going to be a little salty mm-hmm. because <laughs> of, you know, what happened. But she realizes that God is still with mm-hmm. them and enough to teach the kids about him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like she's, yeah. and again, I don't know what that conversation was like. I don't know if it was like, hey, we had a really nice place till I blew it or what. <laughs> but, right, right, till your dad decided to eat the fruit too. You know, like, I, I don't know what that kind of, but there was enough that they instilled in in their kids yeah. that made their kids want to give to God mm-hmm. as well. Right. And that they instilled enough to Abel who was like, well, these are my first fruit. Like, mm-hmm. like you said, there, that wasn't even put out yet like yeah. oh first fruits you should give god your first fruits or, or something like mm. that but there was something there was that relationship that remained so special mm. despite the the sin despite the fault which helps me understand like okay there, there is no nothing that can separate us from the love of god mm. like even though god was like look i know y'all ate that fruit so I'm going to have to put some flaming arrows arrows, so you don't go around to try to get to it because that's your nature. They still they still felt that love. And that yeah. Right. Really Man, that's such a, I never thought about that. But, like, they didn't have aunts and uncles and cousins. Like, it was like their example was Adam and Eve. Like, that's it. That's who's around. And then you see them worshiping, bringing their, you know, their, their offerings. So, yeah, it's a really cool point. Yes, Steve. So. You see the full story. Because in the Old Testament, God is warning about sin desires to have you. So then if you go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. So we all have this free will that we can choose which way. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Mm. So we all, I think about a physical way out. I think God provides that way out through the Holy Spirit, through the fruits of the Spirit, through mm. us, me taking a minute to really understand what really is going on. You talked about sin. Sin is really anything that separates us from God. Mm. 
sin of the heart, sin of anything, mm-hmm. thoughts, anything else. And this is where God's covenant comes back into play with us through Jesus Christ. God knew that back in Genesis that Jesus Christ was going to have to die mm-hmm. for our sins. Mm-hmm. But the whole story, the completion of it is just um, awe-inspiring. Yeah. 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 I think the more, to your point, Steve, that we can see it as this connected story, like the more unified it becomes, the more that we can really participate and embody it. I saw this data visualization. I think it was like 67,000 connections or something that somebody made in the Bible, and it just shows it all together. It has like these different colors and lines, and it is beautiful. It's so inspiring to see how different, you know, even just from a data visualization perspective, how much the whole story connects. So, yeah, it's a good point. And as the boys say in Ellicottville, I get God bumps. Get God bumps. All right. You learn a new saying every day. I appreciate it. Yeah, Yeah, I'm just thinking about pain. I work as a therapist and I'm constantly thinking about what's underneath that, you know, and I think with Cain, it seems to me like he must have felt really entitled. Um, like he was the firstborn and, you know, but he got the job working the soil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Abel, I don't know, I, I even think about like the story of the prodigal son, like kind of that feeling of like, yep. you know, I'm the firstborn, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm entitled to this. Um, and I think with Cain, like, I just see him, you know, like, yeah, he brought an offering, but he didn't bring his best. And I mm. wondered if that feeling of, like, entitlement, like, mm. you know, I'm here. Like, I did this already, or, mm. like, I made Jesus Lord, or I mm. gave this for contribution, or whatever. Mm. Um, that can make us feel like sometimes we don't need to offer our best. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, I love that. And you bring up a good point, too. This is really where you see that. That flip. <laughs> really, when you see that flip, right? Like, it was always the oldest was the most treasured. And yet, even throughout Genesis, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, like, you see God really flip it. And a lot of people point back to, to Cain and Abel, Cain being the older brother that really changed things around. But, um, yeah, Pedro. Um, it's funny you mentioned Cain because when I look at him, I find it interesting. He got upset when God didn't respect him. Mm-hmm. There's a, I don't know what to make of it, but there's a, 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 a desire to be with God, to have God acknowledge him. If God says to mm-hmm. be good, you'll be accepted. Yep. Right? You'll be accepted by me. This is how you get access to what you want. You want acceptance from me. But if you don't, then sin comes after you. And mm-hmm. later on, he tells God after he's, he's given, he's uh, thrown out, but I won't see your face anymore. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I don't know what to make of that. But I think what strikes me as I read this again is just that intimacy on the part of Cain. Because he brought the fruit. Didn't he say that yeah. they had a habit of bringing, bringing stuff? Mm. Yep. He brought the fruit, right? Mm. And he looked as though he might be the, fir- the one that brought the idea. Yeah. Yeah. So there is this kind of desire to be with yeah. God, to have mm. his approval, to, to, to show God I'm mm-hmm. with you. And then he has this very violent reaction when basically God just says, or God looks like I like your brother better than you. Mm. It wasn't that God gave him more stuff or mm. gave him things. It was that loss of relationship connection that he had this violent response to. Mm. I just find it very fascinating. I also find it very interesting too how though God is holy, he is will 
to get in the in the funkiness with us. Mm. Yeah. Right? He's not put off by the funkiness of it. Mm. That, that's the, the nature of his love. It's real. Mm. Touch it. It's yeah. a real love. He's going to get in Cain's face and counsel him. And then after he blows, he's going to say, okay, I got you. I'll, you know what I mean? Yeah. But so I'm seeing, but just that kind of empty connection. We pray now, but I don't know if we, it feels so foreign to, to me, mm. right? To have this kind of like, you know, this kind of like yeah. God being relationship is yeah. quite powerful. Yeah, I remember, I don't even know, I probably shouldn't, okay, I'll say it. This, uh, I heard this guy say one time, he was like, we don't have a, a prissy God, you know, like the, ah, you know, like from the beginning in Genesis through Jesus, like we have a God who puts his hands in the dirt to create us, you know, who sticks with us after we fall, who is not afraid to get in there with us and stay in there with us even after we mess up. And so, you know, just as we think about holiness, like that just makes me question, like, all right, what do I understand holiness? Because I tend to think about it as like, oh, you, you, you know, and there, there's an element to that, but I think I need deeper study on that topic because, uh, yeah, it doesn't mean that you become like prissy, you know, for lack of a better word. Sorry, did you have your hand up? I did, but I was waiting for Alex. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. Sorry, brother. Sorry. One story I struggle with the most in the Bible. Like, it irks me to my core. And, and maybe everybody gets the whole first fruit thing. I don't know if you've tried to grow anything. You don't always get good fruit. And it just said five verses before that the longest curse was to the ground. And I can just see, like, Adam being like, okay, Cain, uh, your job is to work this cursed soil. <laughs> All right, little baby brother, you get this lamb. There's no, there's no talks about lambs. There's no talks about how to deal with them. I mean... There's nothing, and I could I could see it myself feeling like, how come I got this cursed soil, and you get these really nice sheep that you can take out of a storm or a hurricane? I can't move that tree. Yeah. <laughs> My wheat crop is 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 so it's messed up. I can't do any. It's cursed. And I, sorry, I got fooled. It's, it's more of a sense of like there are moments in life where I feel like as people we can be inheriting some like. At work, you could be inheriting a bad situation that you didn't make. Right. Right, right. Or you could be coming across a relationship with some drama that somebody else gave to your spouse or somebody else gave to your friend. And now you're in this relationship, a friendship even, and you're like, man, I don't, I don't want to deal with all this. Can I get the blank slate? Can I get the nice, like, happy lamb? You giving me this cursed ground? And I've, I've literally struggled with this verse for, like, years of my life. And I appreciate the moments where it's come out in different groups. To the best of my knowledge, I don't know why this is set up the way it is. But I, I, one thing that I can take outside of the first fruits is there was an opportunity for Cain to be like God and be like Adam in timing. And he didn't want to deal with the timing. There was an opportunity to redeem the ground. Maybe even the fact that if that crop was not good, to be able to go to God and be like, I don't have first fruits to give you. Mm. I want to give you my best, but I don't have that. But instead, he gave something else. And that was an opportunity that he didn't have to really wait for God to bring something better. Mm. And I, I think that's helped to help me wrestle with that. Because there are moments and seasons in our life where we can't, we can't always give the, the very, very best. Mm. You might not have the very best to give. You might not have anything to give. Yeah. 
But I, I think there's an opportunity there for us to connect with God and find that approval or find that acceptance or find that connection that he was so urgently seeking for, as opposed to taking in the complete opposite direction and going into sin. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. And I think I'm glad we all, you know, talk together like this because we bring different perspectives. Yeah. As a person who's lived in cities my whole life, I don't make that connection about first fruits and harvest crops. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. That just doesn't stick out to me. But I think another element, too, of the first fruits is, like, think of all that waiting you have to do and the trust in God that this is the first we're reaping of it and we're giving this to you. Like, there better be more after this, God. Mm-hmm. And so I think there really is that element of faith. But I love the element of, like, timing and impatience and how that might work itself mm-hmm. into. And it, it plays into the prodigal son that we talked about. If you look at later in Scripture, there's an idea of, like, what the older brother would have had in comparison to the younger brother in terms of inheritance. Mm-hmm. But there's a weight. Mm-hmm. There's an acceptance of what you have to do in life and what you have. And there's an opportunity for Cain in that to be like God. To redeem the soul, he didn't. He didn't accept that. Yeah, I totally get that. But this yeah. is, I'm to be honest. This has always been my struggle story. I don't. Gosh, man. I skip by it in the Bible. I just be like, that's <laughs> come on, wow. That is a that's a strong feeling, bro. <laughs> uh, but I respect it. We each have our. Open about my sin, man. Come I see someone else. Yeah, yeah. You see in different translations, we'll say fruits, but it doesn't say first fruits. Right. He gives fruit, but you see Abel, he gave the first yeah. of his firstborn and the fat portions with God, God yeah. loves. So I'm trying to give all that to him, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I stay at the gym a lot, you know what I mean? <laughs> but you'll see, you know, when Cain gives some of the fruits, like he holds some back or mm. he took some of the best and ate it or whatever, right? Okay, God, I'm gonna give you the leftovers. I'm only gonna give you the fruit, not the first fruit. I mean, the second, third, and fourth fruits. So it's not even the first fruit, but you see, Abel gave the first, mm-hmm. the best of his stuff, yeah. even the fat portions. And I have to look at myself. Do I wake up in the morning giving my, you know, God the best? Mm-hmm. Right? Do I give him my time first, or do I look at CNN? MSNBC, you know, the people doing Ukraine and things like that, you know, yeah. but do I go go to God first to get my mind prepared for the day? Yeah. And I got to see, man, I don't do that all the time. Yeah, that's a great practical application, right? You can look at so many areas of your life and ask, like, man, am I giving an Abel offering or a Cain offering? You know, um, yeah, love that. And uh, we'll take a couple more. Yeah, man. Yeah, I was just going to say the thing that stood out to me as we were reading today that one of the biggest gifts that God has given both of them is the gift of choice. Mm. And I think that it's, you know, we tend to want to, when something goes wrong, blame someone or be the victim. But the honest truth is that's what we all have, mm. is the gift of choice. Mm-hmm. How we respond to something someone does wrong or do we really bring our best to God in worship is our choice. It, it mm. doesn't matter what anyone else at church does. It doesn't matter what my husband does. And it's, it's really sobering to think of that, yeah. to think that, you know, it is a gift of God to allow us to choose to be that close to him or not. Mm. And that we can really just kind of, take advantage of it and just say, you know, no, it's not worth it to me. Totally, right? We go back to Genesis, uh, you know, three last time, like, we look at uh, Adam's response, right? He blames Eve, blames God, you know, there's all the blame shifting, and it's, uh, yeah, it, it is so cool that God gives us a choice that it's not dependent on other people what choices we make and how we worship them. Yeah, Najee. 
So something that stood out to me uh, was, for one, I think we can assume who decided what they did, but when I read it, I kind of see that they chose for themselves what they wanted to work. When I look at the consequence of um, Cain's action and how he responds with, like, this is so much to bear when God takes away the land from him. So there seems to be a connection with him, like, enjoying uh, the land. And so when I see what they what they give, I can kind of connect to it in the sense of, like, Abel was like, this is God's, so God's one that blessed me, I give to God. And Cain was more in, like, I did this, here you can have some. Um, and I think he missed the mark in seeing that God was the one that was producing the land, and it wasn't him that was producing it. And, um, and then when God takes it away, uh, he becomes a restless wanderer and kind of takes away his, his work and almost can be his identity of, like, I was the person that brought the land, and now I can't do that anymore. Mm. And missing even, mm. I kind of went far, but even missing, like, when he asked, like, where is your brother Abel and my, bro- my brother's keeper? I'm like, yes, that's where you were supposed to be. But instead you were, you thought you were supposed to be taking the land instead. Mm. Man, so kind of that lens of, like, do I view this as, like, my ownership or is like am I a steward of a gift you know and those are two totally different lenses and how we hold our possessions and think about things so yeah I hadn't thought about that but appreciate it yeah Yeah, I really love this scripture Um, it really helps me reflect on just the gratitude of it all Mm. Um, kind of back on him like it was God that gave him the opportunity he didn't have to take care of them after he had been the family out of Mm. the garden but he did and in doing so, he gave him purpose to mm-hmm. give him things to do. You know, he said, being the keeper for his brother, tilling the land, um, mm-hmm. gave his brother an opportunity to watch the sheep. They, they were being a family. They were taking care of each other. So all these things were being provided. Mm-hmm. And so you can see Abel's heart. He was grateful, mm-hmm. grateful to have the relationship with his heavenly father, not just with his, you know, physical family, but his spiritual father who, who gave him life. It was mm-hmm. because of him he was born. Um, but, and, but then you go back to... Um, Cain, where there was a sense of entitlement, maybe. Mm-hmm. We don't know the whole story, right? But there was a lack of getting that whole first. And you're right, it gave him his first. Mm-hmm. It, did, he said, it said it gave him some mm-hmm. of the fruit. And it didn't mention first of a portion of it, mm-hmm. the sum. So it's kind of like, again, so he said leftovers. Mm-hmm. But if you have a heart of gratitude, <coughs> why wouldn't you want to give your first? Mm-hmm. Anything. Um, you think of the woman who gave out of poverty. Mm-hmm. He said that he gave it out of she gave the most, and mm. it, it was less to the people who saw saw her, but to God, that was everything. That was her first fruit. Yeah. And it makes me question sometimes, like, where am I in my life where I'm thanking God mm. for my first fruits? Mm. I, I struggle with a lot of things. I think of the blessings that I have. I just work and have kids. I have three kids. Mm. How am I raising them to have a closer relationship with God? And how am I being that example mm. to imitate a relationship? Yeah. You know, having a job, there's so many people struggling with work. Mm-hmm. Having a relationship with God, like, how am I giving my first fruit, sharing my faith, and being that light that, that guides people to His Word and, and to their salvation? Mm-hmm. And so it just goes back to, like, again, heart of gratitude. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, and that kind of brings us full circle. You know, we'll close out here, but to that idea of, like, and we can open up this story, you know, thousands of years old. And we can embody, participate, be convicted by, and think about, well, communally, how are we living this out together? 
You know, what is it saying about my circumstances that I can learn from God and be like God? What are we learning about God, about ourselves, our vocation, the world? Like, there's so much in here. And so I hope, if nothing else tonight, that you guys took out of just from, I think we made it through a whopping nine verses tonight in Genesis, you know, and it was just rich discussion. And so uh, really, really appreciate everybody's heart and uh, just thankful to God for this time. So uh, let's close out with a prayer. Our good, good Father, you are so good to us. And uh, we see that word all over uh, Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, God, uh, that you just treat us good. This world you created is good. It's very good. And, uh, Lord, we are amazed just at your grace that we see from the very opening pages, God. This is such a profound statement about who you are, about who you've always been. Uh, you don't change. Uh, your character always stays the same. And we are so thankful, uh, not just what we see in these opening pages of Genesis, but what we see embodied in you, Jesus. Uh, you took on flesh. You walked this earth. You were nailed to a cross so that we could be here participating as a community, sharing in the spirit. Uh, we are so thankful, God. We pray that you just fill us up more and more with your spirit, uh, like Michael talked about on Sunday, that we can just live cross-shaped lives, God, where we really can be self-sacrificial, God, because we know that your teachings are paradoxical, God. It doesn't seem to make sense on the surface, and yet when we live it out, that's where we find true life to the full. Thank you for allowing us to be here. What a blessing it is to be with brothers and sisters, to open your word, to pray to you, to connect. You are so good, God. We thank you. Uh, we love you. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Sorry, you threw me off, Ash. <laughs> hey, I have a quick announcement. 34 years ago. 34? One day, uh, because I was there, uh -oh. this young man was born into the world. Yeah.